Welcome to Companion Pass. I'm thrilled to have you along on this wild ride as we explore the untamed world of rodeo life and the families and supporters that make it all happen. From thrilling arena action to quiet moments behind the scenes, this podcast is your ticket to the heart of true rodeo life. I'm Lindsay Branquino, and as a rodeo wife and mom myself, I've experienced firsthand the joys and challenges of life in and around rodeo. Together, we'll dive deep with rodeo families, rodeo athletes, and other folks who are living and breathing the Western way of life. We'll explore topics like raising families while husbands are away, navigating the dangers of a professional rodeo career, keeping a relationship alive when you're hundreds of miles apart, and what it takes to pursue your own goals in the midst of it all. Whether you're part of a rodeo family, a fan, or just someone who loves Western culture, Companion Pass will give you all the real, unfiltered insights you've been looking for. Let's dig in. I have got another very exciting first here for the podcast today, and I know it's one that so many of you have been out there waiting for, asking for, very patiently, I might add. But we have our first barrel racing husband on today. We have got Ty Hillman. Now, he is a man that wears many hats, and he will do a far better job of explaining to you exactly what all of them are than I ever could. So I'm going to let him do that. But Ty, thank you so much for being here. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me on. I've followed your podcast and I really enjoy it. So thank you. I've wanted to have you on for a very long time. And so I feel really thankful that that you've agreed to this. And you are officially breaking the ice for barrel racing husbands everywhere. Is that Now, is that a title that like I, I can throw at you? Or are you kind of yeah. like, all right, maybe enough yeah. of that? It's so funny. I definitely get the Golden Hoof Pick Award, my wife says. And yeah, I I appreciate that. And it's cool because honestly, I'm friends with a lot of people and I get to talk to them who are in the same exact situation as I am. And hopefully I can be a good representation of barrel racing husbands everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> I have no doubt. Do you find, because you're living in a woman's world, you're fully immersed in it in that you travel with Stevie all of the time. Are there a lot of other husbands like when you're out there traveling that are doing the same thing or are you one of a few yes i am in a woman's world and it's funny though not just barrel racing our dogs are females most of the horses we have are mares so it's there's estrogen everywhere <laughs> but yeah i some of my you know friends that i see at the rodeos and stuff i don't know that there's that many that travel full time that they're back and forth a lot they have their other stuff going on at home or family and kids or whatever a lot of them that I'm thinking of go back and forth. There's not that many that are there full time. I can think of very few that are with, that I see with their wives all the time. I can imagine that's hard not having other peers around you that are living a similar lifestyle that you can Mm -hmm. relate to. Yeah. It's funny because whenever I talk to certain people, they're like, I don't know how you do it. It's not just me and Stevie. It's just, how are you with your spouse 24 (laughs) seven? And six months out of the year living in a trailer, so real tight quarters, and you work with them, everything that you do, you're building together. So there's not, there's very few areas that Stevie has or I have that, that don't include the other one. And that's honestly, though, it's fine. I love it. She is my best friend and I honestly wouldn't want to have it any other way, but I do know that I am an introvert by nature Mm -hmm. and I've got to have some me time. There's no doubt about it. And that gets a little tricky to manage. But 
Yeah, we do spend an awful lot of time together and it's wonderful and it creates challenges at the same time. But like I said, I honestly, now that we've done it, this is eight years that we've done this because I worked away from home before that. I would honestly not have it any other way. Well, I'm sure. How do you, because you guys, not just rodeoing, not just traveling with her, but various outside businesses and pursuits that you guys work on in your lives, you do those together as well. So there is not just a blurred line. There's almost no line for you between relationship, life, work, balance there. How do you separate any of that? Do you? Is it possible? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really don't. Yeah. What boundaries? We joke around about that, but no, it's, you hear people talk about work, work work-life balance. I don't really, it's for us, Tony Robbins always said work-life integration. And that was just a term Mm -hmm. that made a lot of sense to me. And so we integrate our hobbies, our joys, our passions, and our, our, what we do for a living and tried over the years to unify it into one thing so that we enjoy what we do and we enjoy who we do it with. There's no complaining about your boss or anything like that. (laughs) There's no HR Uh, you can go to. Yeah, there is no (laughs) HR for sure. And so that part of it does get a little bit tricky because there's just by nature, there's things that are frustrating. You're dealing with two individual people and Stevie and I have some similarities for sure. But from a personality perspective, we're very different people. And we've been married for 15 years and boy, there's been a lot of learning going on with that and how not to control or try to make the other person more like you or we can go on and on about that. But there's not a lot of separation. We ride horses together. We have a stud. We go to the jackpots together for the most part. The challenge is what do you do when when, about taking care of the place and especially when we need to be traveling and Weeds need to be sprayed and fence lines and stickers chopped and just the typical things that go along with having yeah. a place. And that's the part that gets the hardest. But hmm. we, I do, I have realized that we need to give each other the opportunity to have our own thing somehow and be able to maybe go and intentionally hang out with some other people. When I got some buddies that I, we meet at Buffalo Wild Wings about once a quarter and stuff like that. And I have a Zoom call with some really close guys on Tuesday or yeah, Tuesday mornings. And those have become really important. So honestly, I would almost say other relationships have, I've seen the importance of those more than maybe other hobbies or it is for me, I'm a very connection driven individual. So other, other relationships are really important to me and with good men, good solid men. I love hearing you say that so much because I really relate to a lot of what you just said in that I too am really introverted and having those outside relationships, not just completely aside from our rodeo lifestyle, when you're married, it's easy to just get totally wrapped up in your partner, particularly when a lot of your life is enmeshed when you're working together, ranching, farming, things like that. And it's easy to just with the way life happens, neglect outside relationships. And it's so important to have those for when you do need just that break, a different sounding board, somebody you're not constantly faced with that can hear you differently, maybe. Yeah, absolutely. And also to relate to, again, we joked around about it, but I really am in a woman's world the mo- yeah. most of the time. And for me to be able to 
express and be <laughs> a guy and not have to try to sugarcoat it or be sensitive <laughs> about it just to just be a guy. And I, and it's really important. Yeah. And we joke about it and because it is funny, but it's also true too. These other relationships are really important. And what's interesting is a lot of friends or acquaintances or different people that I meet or just know, don't really hang out with, but just know, I think a lot of people are searching for those close connections with, if you're a man, other men, and if you're a woman, other women. And it doesn't just yeah. have to be a mentor or something like that, but just more than just your best friend or something. It's like a, a collective handful of people. And I feel very fortunate to have that. And I see now how important it is now that I have it. Yeah. Since you've experienced and understand how important this has been for you to find, do you then encourage Stevie to go find that for herself as well? I'm sure it's a little bit easier for her because she's surrounded constantly by women who yeah. share her interests. Yeah. I, I do. And and it's funny, you're right. She is surrounded, but there is, I feel that there's a difference between having relationships that fill you up and relationships that kind of empty you. And I feel yeah. like it's important. I think good relationships have both. There's times where other, that person's filling you up and there's times where you're emptying out and helping fill them up as well. And to have the relationships that are not one-sided that are just constantly yeah. draining you because it can be fine for a while or a season, but it's hard to believe it's a very great relationship if it's just one-sided. Yes, I encourage her. She has some great friends. She has some wonderful people. But I, it's funny because she's a little introverted as well, and she's really good. You wouldn't really know it from being around her, but she keeps a pretty tight circle of people. And I understand why, but it does make it a little bit more challenging to foster and nurture those kind of relationships if you don't already have it with that individual. Yeah, for sure. Especially when so much of, by nature of rodeoing, so much of your time and energy is focused on one place. Like you said, you don't, there are certain things that fill you up and empty you out. And I find that when you're really in the thick of rodeo, you often have very little left to give. Does that yeah. ring true for you? Absolutely. Yeah, that is, it's really tricky. And I think that unless someone is either extremely mature or they've been through it, it's hard to understand the commitment of time and energy and focus that it takes to do this at the level that we're doing it or anybody that's doing it professionally is because it can seem um, from an outside perspective like the athlete is very selfish yeah. because a lot of everybody's focus is around their time frame and their energy level and what they need and when they're available. And if you don't have that understanding, then it can really look like that individual can appear to be selfish. But just knowing the background of it and everything I see that commitment and I applaud the people who husbands or wives with their spouse, rodeo, whether it's you and Luke or whatever, who have been through this because there is a tremendous amount of going back to the relationship. There are times and seasons where it can be pretty one-sided. And, and, but I think what's important is that the athlete understands that and they, in that it is a season. So then when it's, we're not from June to September when we're in, there is really no downtime in rodeo if you make yeah. the finals, but 
there are times that are slower than others. And if they're aware of that and try to invest back in that relationship during those times, then it's generally good. But if it becomes just a lifestyle of taking all the time, I could see how that could become definitely a problem. And it would take a lot of self-awareness for the athlete not to let the relationship be that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think you get in that headspace that's required of you. And I can see how it would be so difficult then to turn it off, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. It's a lifestyle. It's not, it's hard. We want to separate our identity from who we are, from what we do. And it's really important to have that. But at the same time, when you're committed like this in your whole life, this isn't just a job you're clocking in from eight to five when it's, when everything revolves around it and there's no, again, there, there literally is no off season. You're entering Denver during the NFR and stuff like that. And, and so you're trying to make your schedule and figure stuff out and figure when you can have Christmas and when you can take a vacation that doesn't isn't pulling the horse trailer behind the pickup yeah. and stuff like that. It just, it gets really tricky. Yeah. Was accepting that as your reality, was that something that was a tough learning curve for you or did it come naturally to you? I feel like I'm in a ser- a servant type role and that's not been hard because I love, I just, I'm a compassionate person and I, my love language is acts of service. And therefore it's funny when you generally speak your love language. So I feel most love when people do things for me. So in return, I like doing things for them. So it's very natural to do that. But when we started, I worked outside of home and everything. And this started is like barrel racing was Stevie's thing. And so then there was a, change as we started moving towards barrel racing and training barrel horses becoming less of just something Stevie did. And I did my thing as to now this is something that we're doing together. That, that was an interesting transition because I was used to being in my own domain and being able to do things while I still worked for other people and had bosses and everything else. I had enough free reign to do things the way that I wanted to do and the way I was trained to do them and everything. And so then when I start working with Stevie, she likes things done differently than I do and vice versa. And it was this, it was a transition for sure. And boy, I'd love to just be able to say I can look back and I got it all figured out. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. (laughs) However, I can see where we've grown a tremendous amount together and allowing her to be her and her trying to allow me to be me and operate in our strengths and and everything else is what we really try to do. Sometimes we're better than other times at doing that. It can really depend on how the year's going, how much sleep we have. It can (laughs) depend on a lot of things, but we are at least aware of it. And we really try to make good decisions to, to keep the other person in mind. But that servant role is something that uh, I've enjoyed. It, it fulfills me to do that. But what I've noticed, this is something that's interesting too, that I just over the last couple of years really fig- figured out about myself is I can do the best I think I'm capable of doing in helping Stevie prepare and get where she's going and enter the right rodeos and her feel good and everything. But 
it all comes down to how she does in the arena. I have no direct control over our outcome at all. And normally in an occupation or something like that, you have a little more control over the outcome. You're, you have control over your input and how you do it and, and how hard you work at it or adapt or whatever. And the end result is generally some, somehow directly tied to that. And with what we do, it's indirectly, absolutely. There's a lot, but it is not directly. And so I've found myself like struggling at times where I feel like I'm doing everything I can do the best I can do it. And if for some reason things aren't going well or whatever, we still don't win the game. Yeah. And that's been tricky. That's been I tricky for imagine. me. I, and that's a, an entirely different aspect that I've never really considered that I think is you really uniquely can express here. It, what is that feeling like then for you? Is it disappointment? Is it frustration? Is it feeling, oh, I should have done something else when yeah. it doesn't go right? It's, it's, it can be all of those individually or at the same time. <laughs> so the one thing that I do know is that my wife is trying as hard as she can. I know that she is making the best effort that she can do. Where I've had to adapt and really work on myself is like by by nature, I want to be a perfectionist. I, I am very thorough. I like being very organized and thinking ahead and going through the different scenarios so that I feel most prepared. Because there's a lot of stuff outside of our control and barrel racing actually less than team roping, bulldog, and anything else, there's yeah. less variables in a barrel run than there are in a lot of the other events. And so I know they have even more to deal with. And there's a lot more outside of their control that determines whether or not at the end of the day, they drive out of the parking lot winning money or not. Yeah. So I feel very fortunate that Stevie's barrel racing because I feel there's the least amount of variables and, and it's more directly tied to her and or her horse's performance than anything else. So because there are less variables in barrel racing, it's easy to think if Stevie just did this or whatever, wouldn't hit a barrel, whatever it is, that how hard is it? It's a heck of a lot harder than what it ever appears to be from standing from the side of the arena. I do know that. Yeah. And so sometimes it is disappointing because if this was our chance, this was our yeah. big rodeo for two weeks or truck won this rodeo last year or whatever, and, and then it doesn't go well. And it can be disappointing. It can be frustrating. Only because though, here's what I've learned. It's not because Stevie didn't do something. It's because we have structured our lives in such a way that we're very dependent on her performance. And it's not, dang, I just wish Stevie would, would have done this. It's dang it. That was an opportunity, a, a higher probability to win good money. Yeah. And the next few rodeos we're going to aren't truck set up or we're in slack and it's deep or whatever. This was our chance in the perf with good ground, had a higher probability to win and it didn't work out. And it can come across to my wife as I'm disappointed in her. Yeah. And that's where it gets really tricky is Ty, you've got to, it's not that you can't be disappointed. It's not that you can't be frustrated, but you got to be aware of how you're communicating what you're thinking, <laughs> whether you're saying it or it's just the way that you look to your wife, because 
she's just as disappointed and frustrated too. Yeah. I am. It's really hard not to add extra pressure by throwing your own emotions into the ring in those moments. And I'm sure because you're right there standing outside the gate when she comes out and she sees your face, I can, if I put myself in those shoes, I would feel like I let somebody else down. I let my team down. I let my husband down. He was rooting for me. He helped me. And that would feel like so much pressure in a sport that already carries a huge amount of pressure. Yeah, you're exactly right. And again, I know she's trying as hard as she can. And the last thing that I want is for her to feel like she's letting me down. But I know that is sometimes what she interprets my response to be. And I hate that. So I really want to be nothing but supportive and encouraging. That's really what I want. But in reality, that's not always the way it is. (laughs) So I'm a work in progress for sure. Aren't we all? You talked a lot about how you focus on the preparation. And that struck a chord with me because there is so much preparation that goes into every single run these athletes make. There is years, there's months, there's weeks, there's hours, just countless ones of them that they do the tiniest from the biggest things and practicing to the tiniest things that nobody will ever see or understand if you're not there watching it. And it all comes down to for Stevie, 16 seconds or roughly in the rail race or for Luke, it was three seconds. And so when things don't go right, which they won't all the time, they won't more often Mm -hmm. than they do. It's so hard not to feel a really deep pang of disappointment when you do know and do see all of the preparation that led up to those few seconds out in the arena to have a shot at it. Because Mm -hmm. you're instantly, as soon as that runs over, you're back at square one and you do it all over again. Yes, absolutely. It's interesting too, because like you said, barrel racing, steer wrestling, team roping, any of the rodeo events, you, it's, let's just say, and breakaway now. So you got anywhere from (laughs) 1.7 to as high as Pendleton is the biggest one with a 30 second (laughs) run, but let's just say most of them are 17 seconds. Sure. And like you watch other professional sports and stuff and their football games, their golf, their baseball, they they are hours of events. You, you miss a shot. You're going to take probably 40 more in the game or whatever. And these type rodeo events are one shot. Generally, they may be multiple go rounds or something, but you have one opportunity and then you got to load up and go to the next one and it puts more pressure on people. And so, yes, being prepared is really important because, again, we try to always just focus on what are the things that are within your control or your influence. A lot of people stop with what's within your control, but there's really the only thing when you when you break it down that you actually do to control is something related to you and your response. Outside of you, there really is nothing else you control. There's a lot of things that you influence though. And so our horses, we don't control our horses. However, we certainly influence them. So trying to really just keep close tabs on ourselves and the things that we influence, because this is a game of probabilities. There's no guarantee for anything. And all we're ever trying to do is increase the probability from a 60% winning percentage to a 
70% winning percentage can be huge. When done at the right rodeos or whatever, it can make a huge difference. So one of the things that was really interesting is the first year Stevie made the finals and I was doing our taxes, she made, she made it in eighth place. And so she's right in the middle of the pack and she, her average, you get the audit thing from the PRC at the end of the year to see how much, everything you entered, what you turned out of and all that. And looking at it and added it up, she only won a check at one out of three rodeos. And that was good enough to be in sixth or eighth place. I can't remember going into the NFR. So that means she lost twice as often as she won. And that was like a success. That was making the finals. And that just really opened up my eyes to how important that, that is. So preparation is one of the things that we can control and it makes a huge difference. And in barrel racing, breakaway is certainly that way. Steer us. Honestly, all the events are so competitive now. It's incredible, but a 10th of a second at the NFR will separate five places in the go round. And so in a 10th of a second is like as fast as you can start and stop a stopwatch. If you try to see how fast you can yeah. do it, generally a 10th of a second is about as fast as it, it is literally a blink of an eye. It's a so, lifetime in barrel racing, right? <laughs> it is. We see a difference between a 1D and a 2D horse seems like an eternity. And it's like now but that's <laughs> the difference. So anyway, preparation is huge and we focus a lot on it because it's the one thing that we can really have within our control. Yeah. Hearing you so starkly break it down in percentages like that is, I loved hearing that because I've said countless times that if you choose, if you choose rodeo as your path, you're going to lose more than you win. And that goes for, like your example, Stevie, she's in the top 10 in the world and she is still losing more often than she's winning. That's everybody. That is yeah. your world champion is still losing more than they're winning. And I think that one is just speaks to the nature of rodeo, but two speaks to the mental fortitude that these athletes have to have because you have to push yeah. through loss after loss, even if you are the best. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with that more. We all talk about how mental toughness is important and, and it is really just in life in general, but in I don't know. I just, I really feel like over the years, it's really been impressed upon me to, um, when I'm working with people or something, we got to talk about how do you handle stress and diffuse stress and everything, because a lot of things can cause stress, including not winning. But what do you do? Because life is just that way. And learning how to deal with those difficult things is just key. And it, but the cool thing is that it's trainable. Nobody's born mentally tough. These are skills no different than learning to rope the dummy or whatever. There's a very precise method to develop mental toughness or the ability to focus or anything like that. And so it can be developed. And honestly, it can only be developed by going through it. You don't get to sit at home. And it's not like learning math where you get to just sit at your table and do repetitive exercises. And now you learn how to do those problems. Like you have to get out there. You have to feel the pressure. You have to feel the disappointment, the unrealized expectation and all that, and then work through it. And so one of the most interesting things is like with people that are getting started in rodeo and it, it would be this way in any sport, but in, we all have this, the goals and the vision of what we want to accomplish. And, and this generally it starts with, I want to make circuit finals and then I want to do all this stuff. 
And those are great visions and goals to have. Rarely is life that pretty when easily stair-stepped. It just looks like a big (laughs) bowl of spaghetti more than anything. Learning how to handle the disappointment stuff can only really be learned by being put in those competitive situations. So you can have somebody that's talented and somebody that's even had great success uh, in their circuit or something. And now they're going to go try to make the finals and they get out there and horses have to work in different setups or now all of a sudden their horses get ulcery and aren't working as good or something. And you just got to be able to handle that stress. And it, I don't know, I don't know how else to say it. And then again, you just, you got to put yourself in that situation and you can't put a timeline on it. I'm going to accomplish this then because who knows what's going to happen. But what I do know is we've got to have a really good framework for handling stress. No doubt about it. I think what you said there was so important and something that I've learned as a parent is that you have to have struggles in order to gain these skills that we need. And as a mom, I found so many times I wanted to step in when I saw my kids struggling with whatever they were trying to learn. If if they were struggling with something emotionally or they were upset, and I always wanted to save them because you never want to see the people that you love the most hurting. And I had to like consciously stop myself as often as I could because I knew that if I was always stepping in and making it better for them, that they were never going to be able to do it for themselves. Because like you said, it's a learned skill. And the only way, it's like trial by fire. There's no other way to learn it but to do that. And so hearing that as as something that you have to have to apply to life and then in rodeo is made this connection for me that I hadn't really thought of before. Cool. And you guys have boys, correct? (laughs) Yeah. And are they competing or do they play sports or do they, are they in doing any of this stuff yet? They all love sports, of course, and our oldest is now, he's a freshman, so he's high school rodeoing, he junior high rodeoed and stuff. So since we moved out Mm -hmm. here, he's the only one still rodeoing, but yeah, he's in the thick of it and he's definitely in the trenches right now. It's cool that you guys are aware of it and I couldn't agree more. When you see, it's hard to see the people you love in difficult situations or something, and especially when you feel that it's within your power to get between them and the, whatever consequences that they're facing just for them to feel better. But it's funny how I do mental skills coaching and just, I guess because it's Stevie runs barrels, but the, the majority of the people that I've worked with over the years are probably between the ages of 15 and 25 and they're girls. And so I get to work with a lot of young people and I can see how a lot of very well-meaning parents have stepped in the way between their kids' actions and the consequences. And then the consequences never have the opportunity to teach the kids to make a different decision. And honestly, that's the best teacher is the consequences. And and again, that's going to be hurtful or uncomfortable or whatever for the kids. I, I, I understand why that would be hard. But I also have seen the other side of it And I can see how important it is. It's no different than training horses too. It just, there's got consequences shape behavior better than anything in the world. And and there's some things that you learn from a negative consequence that you will never forget and are way better than years of nagging by a parent or something like that. But I do get it. I get it. Yeah. 
I, you threw it out there, but I want to definitely talk and focus as if it has not already been apparent through so much of what you shared. But you've worked as a mental skills coach. Like that was your job. You did that in, to help other people. Can you talk about a little bit about what kind of specifically that is or what you did in that role? Yeah, definitely. It's what I love. So I, it's the field of sports psychology or performance psychology. It started, I think, being called performance more than anything because it's not just about sports. But I really got interested in it when I was in high school. I used to team rope. That was, I wanted to make a living rope. That was what I wanted to do. I grew up in Northeast Colorado and I read the very first performance psychology book I read. It was like the grandfather of all these books called The Inner Game of Tennis. And it was really good and it, it got me interested. And so I just started pursuing that because I understood how important the mental aspect is to high performance. I could see how I could be the world champion in my own arena. And then when I would get somewhere else, I would just hit one in the butt and, and shouldn't have. And it was because I was nervous and I couldn't think clearly and I was all uptight. And so I could see how important this was. And that's what started that whole process and just continued to study it and everything. And then when I was working, graduated college and Stevie and I were married the same year. And just in, in working different jobs and different things that I did, I still really loved that. And I guess by nature, I am a teacher as well. I love just sharing. I love sharing and stuff. So it was a natural process to start coaching and working with people and went through some certifications and everything to make sure that I understood what I was doing. I am not a sports psychologist. I do not have that degree. I just but I do know how to teach and train specific mental skills and that that's it. And so it's what started out for me so that I would row better and not choke under pressure turned <laughs> into <laughs> teaching and learning and teaching people. And then it turned into my wife becoming competitive professional barrel <laughs> racer and me thinking that I needed to coach her. And I learned that was not at all what I needed to do. But it took me way longer than it should have. And so I thought, wow, now I just have this full-time student that I can just <laughs> teach all the time. And man, poor Stevie, she had to deal with a lot there. But she'll say that it was helpful, but th that is how that progressed. And in mental skills coaching, it just really, it's as simple as there are specific things that I already touched on it earlier, but if you want to learn to hit a golf shot or shoot free throws or rope or whatever, there's really very specific ways in learning how to do those physical skills. If you want to start roping, you generally start roping the dummy on the ground and then maybe the dummy off the horse, the smarty or something, and then slow cattle and faster cattle. And there's this natural progression and repetition is the mother of all skill, right? You just keep doing it over and over and changing what getting feedback from hitting it in the back of the head or whatever. No, you need to adjust your swing or your position or whatever. And mental skills are the same way, but most people don't really know. But yeah, my mind is all over the place. I can't focus or my self-talk is terrible and I just, I can't control any part of it or I get all super uptight and stuff before I am in, and nervous before I compete. I don't know what to do to change it. I know I shouldn't feel that way. I know that it's hindering me 
but I don't know how to train it. And so that's what mental skills is training is, is we identify what those are. And then we go through very specific ways and here's how you train it. And you got to do it today and tomorrow and everything. And then we'll talk next week and we'll start talking about something else, but it's going to build off of your ability to do this first. And so that's what it is. Unfortunately, I don't have time much anymore to do that because it's generally an hour long call and or more. And with what we, with other stuff we have going on and when we're traveling, I really can't do it because we have bad service and who knows when you're going to be sitting at the mechanic or the vet or whatever. Yeah. And so it's just hard to schedule. Mm, for sure. So, I mean, you touched on it there, how you used to try and force all of that on Stevie as your guinea pig. But have you guys now found a balance where you can step in sometimes and help her when you see something that may be hindering her that you can clearly point out? And then other times just be the husband? I try. There are, <laughs> I still overstep my boundaries at times, but if she asks for it, if she asks, it's there's my opportunity. So do you want coach or do you just want your husband? And so it's generally the default needs to be husband. And then if asked for the coach, then the coach can come out. Again, because of what we do and we're together all the time and everything that we do revolves around her and her performance. Sometimes it's harder if I feel like I'm seeing something that that she could change that would be helpful. But then again, who am I? I don't know everything. So <laughs> may, that's just my idea of what would potentially help. So that is, I just, I always have to keep checking myself because I, I certainly don't know everything, you know? Yeah. I'm really curious in your professional capacity here. Are there like qualities that you can see in Stevie that she possesses that you think make her a really strong competitor? Yeah, absolutely. She has no quit. This year was one of the most challenging years that she's had in making the finals. She was on the bubble for quite a while. Usually her summers are quite a bit better. She's, I think she's only had one or two winners out of the eight where they went really well and there wasn't as much pressure to win in the summer. But this year we had to go the latest in the year to see if she was going to make the finals. And it was really hard, but she, yeah, she'll get frustrated. She'll get down and stuff like anybody would, but she'll never quit. And we've had a couple of years at the NFR as well that went terrible. Right? They just unfortunately did not go well at all. And every night in the 10th round, clear through the 10th round, she was in on that horse warming up and she was going to go out there and try to win the round. And I just, it chokes me up to think about it because of all of the trials and just the exhaustion and the expectations and everything of those 10 days and for her to just push through is really, I admire that so much about her. It doesn't mean that it was just like she was always motivated and stuff, but when it came down to getting on that horse and getting it ready and going in that arena to make a run, she was given her best efforts. So I feel that makes her extremely competitive and one of her most solid attributes in being a competitor 
And then the other thing is I've never seen anybody have feel for a horse like she does. She's just got the most incredible feel. And I just think it's incredible that she can look at a horse or a video or something and know what adjustments could be made and what could help the rider or the horse out or someone be struggling with a horse and bring it to her. And in one ride, she feels things. And I think that has helped her. When you think about it, she's had so many once in a lifetime horses that she's gotten to ride. And I just, I think it's so cool. It's a, they're all blessings. We've had great horse owners and we've had great opportunities and stuff. Like when I think about it, she has gotten to ride so many horses that are literally once in a lifetime horses. And she's only been doing this for eight years. And I think part of it is because her ability to, one part of it is her ability to adapt her style to what each horse needs. I think that is huge and rare, I would say, in the barrel racing world because you see a lot of girls come through that are really successful because they have found that once-in-a-lifetime horse. And in barrel racing, so much of your success is dependent on the horse. It just is. But then you never really see much from that girl again. And there are very few that you can look back through history that are consistently making the finals on different horses. They're consistently winning on different horses because it's so rare to find that like that spark, that magic that it takes to be so successful repetitively with different horses because so much of the time your riding style doesn't fit a horse's and, and you have to have that perfect fit. So for her to be able to do that on different horses with different styles is so hugely speaks to her talent. Yeah, thank you. I, I agree with that. And it's funny because people will say, hey, there's this horse, they'll send a video or something. We got this horse that you would do great on. And what that generally means is nobody can get the horse by the barrels. They're fast, <laughs> but nobody can get them by the barrels or they're hard to. And it's funny because that's become in, a, in the public's eyes, Stevie's style. When that's not what she wants to ride, she just truck, truck. When she first got him, he was hard to get by the barrels and still can be. Sharpie was hard to get by the barrels. Incredibly fast horses, but they both hit a lot of barrels. Even with Stevie, they hit a lot of barrels, but she was able to keep more up than maybe the the average person and and enough to win good. And then Lemon Drop was an incredible little horse. It was more of a free runner and stuff. So yeah, I just, I'm so proud of her ability to get on a horse and feel a horse. And what I told her recently is you give the horse a voice. Stevie is able to feel a horse and then, and understand and then communicate it. So like, she's really good at helping people on horses that they're maybe struggling with or something. Wouldn't it be great if the horse could just talk? Oh man. (laughs) But they can't. But I feel, and I've gotten to see my wife do it, and it's so awesome to watch. She'll get on them, she'll feel them, she'll work with them, she'll do whatever. And then she comes back and then says what she thinks. But in doing that, I feel like she is allowing that horse to speak. And I just, I think it's really cool. That's one of my favorite ways I've ever heard that bond or what she's doing described. I love that so much. I'll be remembering Yeah. You touched on this year was a little bit, it was a more challenging year for Stevie. 
And I read where you had shared on Instagram that to give some perspective to what her year was like, but that in mid-June, right before the summer run, I think you said that she was 41st in the Mm -hmm. world. And so you guys knew these are, you're coming up on the busiest months in rodeo. You're hitting the most rodeo. It's an overwhelming and exhausting time, but that you really feel like you're going into that time with the deck very clearly stacked against Mm -hmm. you. And I can imagine from 41st, the top 15 must have seemed like it was light years away. And taking on, just meeting that challenge head on is huge and speaks to the determination that you just said Stevie embodies. But I read where you had said that you put up, to, to help her to envision keeping that dream alive, you put up a placeholder for her 2023 NFR back number in your house. And reading that just, it gave me chills. I thought, what an incredible thing for you to do to have this visual representation. Mm. So yeah. And I can only tell you, I knew that she was 41st because I took a screenshot of it because I'm like, this is either going to be awesome or, or it just isn't going to work out. Or we'll delete it really quickly and pretend it was never there. (laughs) Exactly. So I, I took a picture of it, but anyway, yeah, so we have her back numbers framed and in in along the in the house, and I decided it'd be cool to put the frame, the empty frame up where it's going to go, and just as that vision. And I don't know why that was a God thing. I I don't know where it would have where else it would have came from other than it was just God's. Hey, without the vision, people perish. That's in Scripture, and so it, I know it came from Him, and so I just did it. And it was an incredibly challenging year. And then I did that in the spring. And because then we're not home from June to whenever. But I feel like it made an impact on her. And it was just a, it was good for both of us, really. And then this was really cool. So the year's challenging truck is 16 years old. Who knows if he's going to continue to, to, clock and we're relying heavily on him we have rb bridget and santa my socks both six-year-old mares both semi-rodeo green and so we don't know and what's going to happen and so we having some challenges and stuff and it's the week of heber city and idaho falls and great falls and um, strathmore alberta and we're excited because we get the performance at heber city and it gets rained out so bad that they actually cancel the performance, which has never happened at a rodeo that we've been to. You just have to run in the slick mud or turn out. <laughs> so they actually can't. So that no opportunity there. We go up to Idaho Falls. And again, it's been somewhat of a disappointing summer, not as much one in July as we're used to winning. And we go up to Idaho Falls, makes a great run, but catches a barrel to, to have a good time and got a perk. Instead of having to run in deeper slack, got a perf. So another kind of disappointing missed opportunity, like we we're talking about earlier. And we're walking back, and there's this. It looked what looked like an index card, and I think it's John thirteen seven. I can't remember specifically. I should, but I don't. And it's facing up. And Stevie rode by it. She's just going to the trailer, and I stop and grab it. And it's somebody's hat card that's in their cowboy hat that it says this hat belongs to so-and-so. But on the back of that card and what was facing up was a scripture. And I just thought, this is interesting. So I go and I look it up and it's Jesus talking. And he says, you don't understand what's going on now, but someday you will. 
And it's just like, wow. And so I share that with her and she wasn't really in the mood to hear it at that point, but a little bit later in the evening, she was a little more open <laughs> to hear it. And, and we hang it up in the trailer. It's still hanging up there. And then we go to Great Falls and she wins second there and we go to Strathmore and she wins it. And I'm not saying that God caused us to win or whatever. It just was cool how when you're yeah. pursuing him and you're looking for it, you got to be looking for it, I, I do feel like. But when you're looking for it, you see those things and you see where he's guiding you along that path. He's got you. We got to continue to trust in him and do what we feel that he's leading us to do. And that was just one of those really cool times. I'll write about that one too at some point, like I did the back number. But those are the kind of things yeah. I feel like are really important for our faith and for anybody that deals with things that are really stressful, we got to keep our focus on him. And I, we can talk about mental skills all day long and everything because they are important and they do help, but nothing will take the place of pursuing Jesus and really trying to line your will up with his. And so that's super yeah. important. Absolutely. And just a way to keep perspective in a lifestyle that can be really hard to do that. Absolutely. In. Yeah. hundred percent. It, it can yeah. become so much about us and winning and everything. And it is a business and it is a profession. And we just, I don't know, renewing your minds daily is just so important for that reason. Cause we just get caught up in our own world and it's easy to lose track of it for sure. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about now that she's made the finals. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about what the NFR is like for you guys. Can you like explain what you do? What role do you take on there? What just what that week is like for you as a barrel racer? Because I, I have a feeling it's probably very different <laughs> than experiencing it as a steer wrestler or steer wrestler adjacent. Sure. So one, it's a blessing to get the opportunity to go. It is absolutely a blessing. And with that said, it is exhausting and a tremendous amount of work as well to prepare once you're there, we go out, we generally get there. So it starts on a Thursday. We generally get there Sunday night before, get horses settled in and everything, sponsor obligations and stuff generally start then on Monday. So three days before the rodeo even starts, you get out there, you've got practice, which we're thankful. We're thankful that the barrel racers get the opportunity to get in the arena and practice. So we're not complaining, but it's generally pretty early in the morning. And so... We get out there, there's grand entry practice, there's getting your pictures taken, there's the back number ceremony, there's going over to MGM and get your pro fantasy rodeo jackets, all of them, what great, wonderful things that we're all grateful for. But it, it starts busy right away. The day of the first perp on a Thursday, there is another barrel practice and there's one every other day. So on the odd number rounds, first, third, fifth, seventh, ninth, and 10th rounds or ninth rounds. There's barrel practice and it ranges anywhere from 6 to 8 a.m. And you got one hour. And it does not matter if you're the last one in line. It, when it's over, they will shut the door in front of you and you're done. But those are very early mornings. There's generally signings every day. Stevie has quite a few sponsors, which again, we're very thankful for. But most everybody, the finals is when there's the most eyes on her and you have the most opportunity to promote products and brands and everything else. And so she's generally signing autographs at trade shows two to three hours a day, nearly every day. 
We try to help with some charitable events. There's a thing called the Golden Circle of Champions that she's been part of, which is the fight against pediatric cancer. And you go, and I think Luke's been there too, if I remember right. And it just, it, we try to keep in perspective, this is a platform. Rodeo is a platform to share yourself and what you have to offer the world. And so it's really easy because it pays 28 or now $30,000 a night to get really wrapped up in performance. And we do, we try to make sure she's feeling as good as she can. And the horses are feeling as good as they can. A lot of focus on recovery as much as possible, but it is the biggest time of the year to give back to sponsors, to give back to fans, to give to people who need it. And so we really try to keep that into perspective, but it is all day, every day for more like 14 days than it is 10. And we'd have it no other way because when there was a chance that we thought she may not make it, it was disappointing to think about it. So we love it, but it is a tremendous amount of work. And when you see that little blonde haired, blue eyed girl signing autographs, smiling, she is dragging butt. She's probably drank four cups of coffee that morning and stuff like that. But (laughs) most people would never know it, but she is exhausted for sure. I mean, I think that there's this perception that once you make it to the finals, it's like, oh, sure, there was this grueling year and you've made it and you're here and you get to just sit back and enjoy it. Yeah. And it's, that couldn't be further from the truth. And it's not just the competing every single night. It's the other stuff that comes along with it that you really broke down yeah. there for us. There's so many obligations and it's grueling. Yeah. So yes, it is grueling, but it is our time to give back. And again, I think the reoccurring theme of this phone call has been keeping things into perspective. And we definitely are trying to do that. We're trying to, it is the most important time of the year for our business. We have the most opportunity to win the most money, but it's, it is an important time. And what's interesting too is like a few years, like I mentioned, they were really tough years at the finals and having to sit there and be around people. And most people are extremely supportive and encouraging and stuff. And then you'll have some people that have no filter and it's just, it's incredible. I do admire them though, instead of just sitting there slinging insults on Facebook, like they, they will come up and, and say what you should be doing or whatever into your face instead of just behind the keyboard. There's a certain amount of it that takes courage, but it, it is incredible how many people can end up being that way. And every time, whether it's Stevie or she's signing with Jordan or anybody, everybody's handles it very gracefully, just quickly change the subject, but that's part of competing at a high level that everybody faces. <laughs> My favorite was always when like Luke would be out there signing autographs and somebody would inevitably come through the line and be like, oh, man, I had you on my fantasy team and now you're blowing yeah. it. I'm like, oh, man. I know. Can you imagine? It just they're so wrapped up in their own <laughs> world. But I've seen the same thing. Uh, yeah, you got to laugh it yeah. off. Now, I want to do something here at the end because we've talked a lot about Stevie and everything that you do to constantly support her and build her up. But I want to know, is there anything about you that you think people would be surprised to learn? So, yeah, you 
in preparation for this, you had asked me that. And I'm glad you did because it took me a minute to even think. <laughs> but when I was a kid, when I was 11 years old, I got to be in The Horse Whisperer, which was a movie that Robert Redford did. And so I was in Livingston, Montana for three and a half months. And that was awesome. And I still love going back to the rodeo at Livingston. I wish it's always in the middle of the 4th of July. So we're just always in and out, but it would be fun to get to hang out there. We eat at the same little, it's called Mark's In-N-Out Burger. It's, there's nothing special, but they have all these different flavored milkshakes and everything. And Stevie and I try to stop there because I loved eating there uh -huh. when we were up in Montana. So that was a really cool experience. I love that. Who were you in the movie? Yeah. His name was Joe Booker was my character's name. And it was Robert Redford's nephew and, and Scarlett Johansson's in the movie. And so I'm the little boy in the gray cowboy hat that's always talking to Scarlett. Yeah. I love that. I'm going to, that, I loved that movie. I, really? lo I loved the book yeah. first and then, of course, the movie. But now I'm going to have to, yeah, now I'm going to have to go back and rewatch oh, it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> You'll be my claim to fame. <laughs> it was very cool. And then a couple of years later, I got to be on an episode of Home Improvement, the TV show, which is still probably my favorite TV show <laughs> of all time. We have Hulu and I watch it off and on when we're driving or something. I was on one of the last few episodes of Home Improvement. And so anybody that follows that show, Tim Allen had a, a show within the show called Tool Time and I was a guest on Tool Time and I just, I did some rope tricks. And it's really cool though, because there was a guy named Cliff McLaughlin who was a stuntman on the Horse Whisperer and he lived in LA. And so he actually came and he got the part to be Tim's double on the show and he did some rope tricks. And so we got to see him. So that was really cool to see him again. Oh, that's very cool. Yeah. Now, there's two things we do at the end of every episode. And one of them is that a previous guest that's been on before has left a question for me to ask to some future ah. guests. So I'm going to ask you their question now. If rodeo didn't exist, what would you be doing? I would probably, okay, so going back to when I was 18 and I had to make a decision when I graduated high school what I was going to do, for whatever reason, I felt like I only had two options. Why only two? I don't know, but that's all I gave myself. And I said, I'm either going to go to Texas and study business and get a business degree in team rope, which the irony of that is hilarious. Now I'm going to get a business degree in team <laughs> rope for a living. That's just too funny. But so, and, and I, so that's what I did do. But my other option was I was going to go to somewhere like the University of Wyoming and study wildlife management because I was huge into hunting and fishing and outdoors and wildlife conservation and Ducks Unlimited and Pheasants Forever and all those kinds of programs. And so have rodeo not existed, there would be no team roping. Therefore, I probably would have went a completely different route and pursued wildlife management. That's great. Yeah. And the last one is, do you have a favorite rodeo moment or memory that you can share with us? Man, I think that when Stevie won Pendleton, I think that was probably the most incredible thing because it was in 2016. So it was the first year that we were rodeoing and she was riding Martini, who was five years old and she was in slack and then truck got a ride down to Albuquerque and Abilene. And I stayed up in Oregon with Martini and she flew back up for the short round and the short round, it was raining and not raining bad, but raining, it doesn't take much moisture to make grass slick. And it was raining enough 
that I was really nervous for, she was extremely nervous. And when you watch the video, it looks like she is just riding fearlessly, like she wants to win the Pendleton Roundup. But what she said was going on inside of her was she was just riding like hell. So Martini made it to the dirt before she tried to set and didn't slip and fall on the grass. <laughs> and so it looks like Stevie is just being this ferocious competitor when inside she was scared to death and won it and was not expecting that on a five-year-old. And she had already, she, we already knew she had made the finals, but that was the cherry on top like that without a doubt, she was now going to make the finals. Like we were pretty sure she would, but so that was really special because that rodeo, the fear behind it, a five-year-old, she hadn't really won many big rodeos, you know, up to that point. It for sure clinched the first NFR. Like there was so much in that win and I'd have to say that's one of the most memorable. Oh, it's one of those things that sounds like the perfect storm of all the wrong things. And yet somehow it defied all the odds and came together for like a magical moment. I love that's that. That's exactly right. It did for sure. Ty, thank you so much for coming on here. I can say with complete confidence that you have set the bar very high for all other barrel racing husbands out there. You don't only get like the Golden Hoofbook Award, you get like the Golden Podcast <laughs> Award or something too. Thank you very much. I've been looking forward to it because again, I follow your podcast and I love listening to podcasts. And so anyway, I just, I was honored you asked me and um, very happy to do it. So thank you so much for having me. Well, that's another great episode under our belts and I'd love to hear what you thought. Share your favorite parts, something that really hit home or inspired you, or just share with others so they can know where to find us. It's the best way for you to cheer on these amazing people whose stories we've heard. So head on over to Instagram. Be sure to tag Companion Pass, myself, and today's guests with your greatest takeaway from this episode. Thanks for being a part of our rodeo family, and we'll catch you at the next one. Mm-hmm.